<clears throat> hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Ecom Hot Seat, the podcast where we do short bite-sized interviews with founders, entrepreneurs, agency owners, all in the ecom space to try and attract, extract some bite-sized nuggets of information from the things that they've been through, the stories that they have and the experience that they've gained. So my guest today is uh, the founder of Sample Beauty, uh, an indie makeup brand here in the UK. Um, she was actually one of our first clients at the agency, so we've known each other a little while. Um, so I'm just going to let her introduce herself. Uh, so Chloe, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name's Chloe. Um, I'm the founder of Sample Beauty, um, an independent uh, beauty brand. I'm no, I'm no longer actually involved with the business, so it's quite an interesting dynamic that we can potentially talk about. Um, but yeah, so I'm no longer involved with the business, but I did start Sample Beauty. Um, and obviously my heart lies in colour cosmetics, right? Um, don't like to call myself a colour cosmetics expert, but that's how I feel, right? I love it. I love it. So, um, yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to now start the 20-minute timer. And then we can jump into the questions. So you can see 20-minute timers going. So, yeah, the first question I have for you is kind of give us a brief insight into your story. How did you go from, I think you were working as a teacher, right? And I was, yeah, I was a maths teacher. Process like? So I'll try and keep it brief, right? Try and keep me in mind. Um, so I'll try and keep it brief. But essentially, I, my, back, my background is in maths, um, right? And obviously, business-wise, has benefited me massively. Um, so I decided to become a teacher once I left my, um, once I finished my degree, um, I just loved kind of guiding people and, and leading. I just really loved it. I uh, became a teacher and then I actually became obsessed with makeup like at the same time. It's when makeup started just becoming like a huge thing, like colour cosmetics and eyeshadow, like it was just massive. And I fell into that trap, right? Um, and I wanted to buy a new foundation um, and I wanted a sample of it. And I could only get a sample from Harrods in London. And I was like, well, I'm in Liverpool and I can't get a sample anywhere. So I was like, oh, well, I've got three months off teacher holiday right so I'll start a business as a little kind of hobby over the summer um as you do um selling samples of makeup so I reached out to all these brands and I was like look give me samples of 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 your product and I'll sell them for a really small price and that's kind of like my 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 profit um, and then I'll upsell your product at full price and you can put me on an affiliate scheme and I'll take a percentage of that full size product. Right. So it was kind of essentially like a tit for tat kind of business. Um, and that did well for like six months or so. But you can imagine like my margins were tiny um, and my passion was with eyeshadow. So I was so I thought I want to launch kind of my own products. Um, so the first kind of step was private label. So um, I started selling private label products, um, which were products that I didn't design. They just had my logo on. Um, and then just kind of snowballed from there. And I left teaching. And then we started designing our own products and got rid of all the white label stuff. Um, and then five years later, I sold it. So that's kind of like briefly kind of the journey. Um, but it's quite interesting, to be honest, kind of how the business shifted over time. But it definitely ended up in the right place at the end, for sure. Absolutely. That's interesting. I didn't know the the, the origin side of it. So uh -huh. kind of the nerd inside me wants to know when you first started it and you were doing you were selling just the samples, I hence yeah. name. Um, how were you driving traffic and how were you kind of generating sales at the time? So these were back in the days, right, where like cost per click on, on Instagram ads was like less than a penny, right? <laughs> it 
was like that long ago, right? So I put like 30 quid a week into Instagram ads um, and it just went from there, to be honest. Um, and I only did the samples bit for like six months, right? But I was driving traffic through Instagram ads and then obviously CRM wise, I had flows left, right and center, uh, guiding people to obviously post-purchase once they bought the sample that upsold the full product, upsold other products that kind of fit in with that product. Um, and then obviously I would just get the commission then from, from um, the partners who were selling the products full size um, and just went from there. But I just got a bit bored with it, to be honest, and I wasn't making as much money as I kind of wanted. Kind of, it is what, it was what it was, right? And there was no brand behind that. We were just kind of a, you know, we were just a service kind of for the consumer. We were, there was no brand and I, that was what was missing and that's what I wanted. So yeah, um, I'm glad it, it changed from samples. I made the right decision. <laughs> cool. So you, in the time you were running the brand, I think for a lot of the time you were kind of a one woman band, right? Yeah, for most of it, right? I think you can remember that even right to the very end before I sold it, I, I was by myself. Um, and I always tell people, I kind of, I kind of hired from the bottom up and then the top down, but we had this massive gap in between and I was that gap in between, right? So obviously I had you on, on my team, I could say, um, covering the paid social side, which is obviously extremely high level stuff that I had essentially no clue about. And so the metrics, but with regards to obviously I couldn't set up ads myself and things like that um, and for them to work really well. Um, and then bottom up wise, you know, I had, I had support customer service. Um, I did outsource all of that. Um, so they weren't actually in my team. Um, I used a range of, of, of different freelancers to do that for me. Um, and then obviously warehouse packaging, um, picking and packing, all that kind of stuff. I, I, I didn't do myself either. I did towards the end, um, but in that middle section, I didn't. Um, but other than that, that massive chunk in the middle was me, right? CRM, social media management, MPD, all those key things that drove the business day to day. I was I, I was that person in the middle. Um, yeah, but I was going to say, I think you can remember those days. <laughs> it, was, it was a fun time, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you managed to do something, I think, in the time you were running the brand that a lot of even like bigger brands than yourselves aren't able to do or weren't, I haven't been able to do. And that is you grew your social media following to, I think, over 200K at some stage. And I think it's probably still growing to this day. Yeah. Uh, but what was it like? What, 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 what sort of strategies did you employ? Um, and what was your approach towards content and engaging with your community that helped you grow to that sort of level? So one thing I I always say to people, right, is don't look at your following as a number, right? Look at it as people. And I think when your mindset changes like that, your strategy will change. And for me, that first 50,000, right, was the hardest, right? First 50,000, so hard to get. And, and I was doing loads of outreach. So I was commenting on so many people's posts in a day. I was responding to every single comment we get. I'd respond to every single story that we were tagged in. But most importantly, I did it the other way, right? I made a point of everyone that was, fo- not everyone that was following us, but loads of people that were following us, I'd be following them back. I'd respond to their stories, just as brand, nothing to do with business just as a person responding to that person and really building a relationship. And I think one, well, it's still to today, right? 
the, the kind of core pillars, the core pillars of Sample Media, community and innovation. They're the two focuses and every single thing, obviously I can't comment for them now because I'm not a part of them now, right? But uh, even when I left, you know, they were the two focuses of the business and every single decision that we made had to be for those two pillars. And the community is the reason why Sample Beauty is what it is today. And it is that relationship building at the beginning that is so crucial because that's what builds your brand identity. And from that, once we kind of hit the first 50K through a load of different strategies, after that, we were getting a lot of obviously just normal people posting about us, which increased. Uh, we had obviously the influence activity, which was increasing it. So it just started snowballing then. And then it just kind of went from 50 to 150 pretty quickly, to be honest, in around 12 months. It was quite fast. And then after that, then that kind of last 100K was a little bit more stagnant. But that middle kind of chunk came quite quickly. Um, and the last chunk was a little bit slower. But as I said, that first 50K was was hard going um, but it was so worth it because it, it it just completely gave the brand its identity like I said yeah absolutely I think that's something a lot of brands overlook like mm-hmm. they want the big number of, of followers but they don't actually acknowledge you know the people that it makes up like you mentioned and the community uh-huh. aspect of it and like you see brands who are spending hundreds of thousands a month even on ads and they don't even reply to people who comment on their ads uh-huh. let alone uh-huh. organic uh, kind of fan base so exactly. And irrespective of what level you're at, I think those those things do hold true. Like if you've got a million followers or if you've got 10,000 followers or even a couple of thousand, the more you engage with them, the, the better the quality of the audience is going to be, which from a brand perspective, if you're running Facebook ads or email marketing to those audiences, you're much more likely to convert them because they've got much more resonance with you and your message versus if you're just trying to like build a number, like you said. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, there's the whole argument. Are you better off having a million non-buyers, right? A million followers who don't buy or 10,000 loyal, retained buyers who follow you that you've got a relationship with. They know the brand. They're bought into the brand. What one are you better having, right? Some people would say that for brand awareness or whatever, right? But community-wise, and strength like the core of what makes up your business which is your community people will argue that but it is right the people who buy from you I would argue that it's better to have 10,000 and I think that graph that I did at the beginning to get that 50k of pure sample beauty powerhouse kind of cult followers and literally made the business what it was at the end absolutely absolutely and I don't think you could have done it without having that insane passion for the brand because Mm -hmm. like I see I used to see like some of the tutorials you'd post on the page and some of the content it was you making it it was you doing tutorials as well as having influencers who were creating stuff for you but I think a lot of your audience knew that you were the founder of the brand you were engaging with them on a very personal level Mm -hmm. it helped a ton with you know building the following yeah for sure for sure it's just personable right it's all feelings, isn't it? Like they could see the person behind the brand. And I think that is really powerful for a really independent, small brand. And we're seeing it now on TikTok, right? We're seeing all these little brands exploding from zero to huge numbers because there's a person there showing them building the brand and and behind the scenes and the hard times, the good times, like all of that. And it's all emotion, right? People love it. Um, so for me, it's like the same. Um, but obviously, Sample Beauty was an Instagram brand. It was pre-TikTok, right? So um, yeah, I made a point of showing my face. I thought it was really important. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
it holds true that you know people do business with people not logos and names and uh-huh. and so absolutely absolutely it's more so true in the service industry but i think even in ecom i think that's a that's an opportunity that a lot of brands actually miss out on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So influencers and obviously you've had a lot of influencers create content with you you've done uh, partnered uh, product launches and stuff like that so what would you have for brands who are pursuing that as a strategy or out to influencers and working with them what sort of things would they should they look out for what sort of things should they assess influencers based on and stuff like that so influencer marketing's a a minefield for me right and i'll use that word and i think other people will understand what i mean by that but one key part that i got to key kind of like I don't know, it just hit me like a wave where I was like, I need to understand these people, right? It's all good saying, oh, will you post about my product? And then they post about it. It's just deeper than that, right? You've got audiences and all these different metrics. You've got cost per thousand impressions, you know, your nanos, your micros, your, you know, all these different layers to influencers, and once I started to get my head into those metrics, right, and what my KPIs were, so I really just knuckled down on, right, what do I want this person to, to do for me? Is it sales? Is it brand awareness? And then ensuring that they understood the metrics behind each of those things. And to be honest, the second I did kind of understand that, my strategy with content creators shifted. And I do use the word content creators instead of influencers because I use the influencers as content creators. And I changed my strategy towards paying creators to generate videos for us, images, just for paid social. Not about posting on their page. If they put one a post on their page, great. But I wanted control of what I did with that content and manipulated that content for what the business needed, not what the influencer could achieve for the business. Do you get what I mean? And once I started doing that, it just shifted then completely. And I found I got a way better return on investment. I had more control of the content, where I was pushing it, what I was saying in the ad copy, et cetera, to kind of um, hit the key KPI that I wanted to hit. Um, And I wasn't reliant on the influencer's audience to react to the content that they posted in the way that they posted it, you know? Um, I think some brands do both but obviously for me I had low budget not much to kind of play with I didn't really have the space for that so I had to make a decision Um, and obviously paid social was the way forward for us so yeah and I think for for smaller brands who who are listening to this you don't necessarily even have to pursue that strategy anymore like that was a couple of years ago where platforms (laughs) like there's some some really cool platforms that are just solely UGC so they're not influencers who don't have influencer rates the regular people who create content and, and sell it on these platforms and you can get like really good videos for 50 60 dollars a pop and just like get five or six at a time run mm-hmm. them paid social mm-hmm. you need more just get more um and then obviously you use the influencers for i guess if they're a more noteworthy name then people seeing that and they can recognize if it's a household name for example they could straight away recognize who it is mm-hmm. increases your, your your resonance with the audience absolutely you did a lot of collaborations with influencers on specific products and, and specific collections as well. So yeah. what's the thought process behind selecting those influencers for that? So every single creator that we've worked with has been a creator that has been there since the beginning, right? So if you spoke to any of the people we've collaborated with, 
they were there from like 2016, 2017. And that's why you'll notice that some of the people we've collaborated with have like 6,000 followers. But that, it wasn't about the reach for me. It was about the relationship um, and nurturing that relationship. Um, and I think that initial collection that we did, it was called the Collaboration Collection of Pigments. That one collection just made our pigments end up everywhere, right? We collaborated with 18 artists at once across 18 shades and just went full force with the launch. And they were all collaborations that were completely meaningful because that creator posted about us all the time, all the time. Um, and then we didn't do a huge number after that until the Painter's Palette, which was last year. Um, and that was a massive launch for us. It was super impactful, became one of our best-selling palettes ever. Um, and that was with a, an artist called Beth Painter. And again, she's been with us from the very beginning. Um, so yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely some, some insight in there for some, for people watching and I think a lot of people um, kind of don't want to do that that side of things they don't want to do the dirty work in terms of engaging with the people who mm -hmm. um, you know helped get the brand off the ground but like you can't fake passion at the end of the day and you can't fake um, you know anyone can do a hashtag ad but getting really behind something and, and showing your your enthusiasm for it is a completely different thing and a lot of times consumers can tell straight away if an influencer is actually passionate about something or if they're just doing it for a check, which, you know, no judgment on that either, but. Okay, cool. So you mentioned, obviously we know that you're no longer part of Sample now. Mm -hmm. um, what was the acquisition process like for you? Uh, and how did it feel kind of, you know, parting ways with something you'd worked so hard on for so long? So it's, it's a really strange feeling, right? And, you know, I can't talk too much about the acquisition, but all I can say is that it, you grieve and it's a really strange feeling but it, it, it I'm not going to say it feels like a death but it does you have to let go of something that you've you've known and literally breathed for so long and it's fueled you and then it's just gone and you almost think like like what now and you do grieve, and I did grieve, right? I was upset for a really long time. It's like a bittersweet feeling, right? It was like relief, but also I was really upset. Um, and the kind of the only comparative feeling I can imagine is, you know, like as a parent, when you let your kid go off to university, it's that like, you know, it's the right thing for them to do, but you don't want them to go. And it was that same feeling. And then they're gone and then you miss them but you know that they're good and that they're, they're doing what they need to do, but you just miss them. And it's that, what I can imagine is the same feeling, right? Um, it's just grief, but it was the best thing to happen. It was really hard, right? It was really, really, really hard. And obviously still to this day, I will say that no one knows that business like I do. I still say it, right? <laughs> um, but the business is in a better place. Um, the community is still there. Obviously, I still see the products launching and the, the launching products still that I designed, which is still nice to see um, those products come out that are still my vision almost for the business. Uh, and the community is still there, still thriving. And I'm still seeing the same names pop up and stuff like that of, of people commenting, um, which is just really nice to see. Um, but it was definitely an interesting process for sure. Mm. Yeah. I remember, I remember when you messaged me on Slack it was quite spontaneous at the time it happened as well because like it was just after Black Friday I think and then you messaged me you said uh, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about selling the brand and I was like what where did that come from yeah a couple of weeks later it was done 
Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I was tired, right? I was 20 years old when I started Sample. And I, like, I think people, I, I often forget how young I still am, right? I was 20 years old when I started it. I was a teacher. I was working, I'm not joking, like, some days, 20 hours a day, teaching all day, coming home, marking for three hours, then packaging orders, posting on socials, responding to emails, going to sleep at 2 a.m. and then waking up at 5 a.m. to go teach again, right? And I did that obviously for two years teaching. And then when I was doing it full time, those hours didn't change. It just became 100% sample beauty focused, right? And I'm, I, I was tired. I was tired, I was burnt out and I was stressed. And I just reached a point where I was like, I either need significant investment where this business can have a team, can have leaders in channels that can really execute and take the business to the next level. Or I can make the decision and go, right, do I want to lead Sample Beauty if that's the case? And the answer was no. I just didn't feel kind of old enough and I just wanted to feel a bit young. That's the only way I can kind of explain, right? I just wanted to feel my age and I just didn't. I lost 20 years old to 25, just gone because I worked the entire time and I wanted to kind of feel that and live that. So I made the decision. I was like, look, it's the right time. I'm going to sell it. Um, and it was the right decision. I don't regret it. Awesome. Our time has just gone off, but I want to round off with one more question. Sure. Uh, well, we've covered a lot in this one. I think this this format is really, really good, but uh, I want to ask you one last question, which is whether we, we know in business, you know, the highs are really, really high and the lows are exceptionally low. Um, so were there any real low times when you were starting the brand, running the brand? And how did you kind of uh, pick yourself up and get out of them? So th there's there's lows, right? Um, and I'm very open about like what my lows were. Um, I always used to be so focused on money and I always used to worry about money all the time even though I didn't need to worry I always worried and I think anyone can resonate with the worry about money it's horrible right I was losing sleep I wasn't eating my weight went from like this is probably the healthiest weight I've, I've been in years I was I was tiny like I look at old pictures of myself and I was running south beating my thighs are like that big right they're like tiny and I couldn't can't I couldn't even imagine, I couldn't even remember back then where I thought, oh, I'm not eating or I'm not sleeping well. I thought I was fine. But when I look back, I'm like, I was not fine. And I think the worst part of that was just the constant worry that I was going to lose everything. And I think that is a kind of natural feeling. But what I didn't have was the kind of strength to be like, Chloe, you need to have a break or Chloe, you need to eat or Chloe, you need to just do something else that isn't the business. I didn't have that strength. And I think that's one thing that I've learned from leaving is that is so important. And one of my key things to tell anyone is just take a moment. Like everyone has enough time for a moment and that moment is worth more than you could ever imagine. Just take a moment to go for a walk or just take a moment to have a snack or a meal or a drink or just, you know, just take a moment. And that's what I didn't do. And that's one thing I regret doing, but I know now, you know, they always say the second business is better, right? But I know that one day when I start a business again, which I will, definitely will, um, that I need to just take a moment. So, yeah. Awesome. What an, what an amazing piece of advice. And I think 
now more than ever, that's going to resonate with a lot of people who, who watch this. So, yeah, in closing, um, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. It was good to catch up and, and see you again after almost two years. I know, right? <laughs> so, guys, uh, if you're listening on YouTube, Spotify, please uh, follow the show, subscribe, comment, like, all of those good things. Share them, share the show with, you know, whoever you think could benefit from, from hearing an interview like this. We've got some amazing episodes coming out over the next couple of weeks and through the rest of this season. Um, and apart from that, we'll see you guys on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.